To quote the late Martin Luther King Jr., free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty, we're free at last. I cannot even begin to explain how good it is to be in this place behind this pulpit. I'm not going to try and call out all the names of everyone who went out of their way to minister to Katie and I over the course of the last two weeks, but everyone who did, thank you from the bottom of our hearts for everything that you did. It has become abundantly clear to us that liberal love has truly become part of the DNA of the fellowship family. And I could not be any prouder than to stand here this morning and say that Fellowship Baptist Church is my church home. Church, thank you for being so incredibly kind and loving, not just to us, but to our son and daughter-in-law and grandson as well. Um, You guys were just over-the-top kind, and we appreciate it. I want to encourage you this morning to open your Bibles to John chapter 5. If you would, the Gospel of John chapter 5. If you have a pen and a piece of paper handy, I'm going to encourage you to write a few things down along the way. And uh, so I hope you'll do that this morning. I'm going to be in reading in verse 1. After this, there was a feast of the Jews... And Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And we know from chapter 4 that after this would mean after the healing of the nobleman's son when he was in Galilee. So after this, Jesus made his way to Jerusalem to one of the Jewish feasts. We're not told what feast it was that he went to, and and honestly, it really doesn't matter at this point which one it was. Let's continue verse 2. Now, there is at Jerusalem, by the sheep market, a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue, Bethesda, having five porches. Up until the 19th century, there were many doubts as to the authenticity of John's authorship of this gospel because there was no indication that there ever was a pool of Bethesda. But then in the late 1800s, archaeologists actually uncovered this very pool. So score another win for God's Word and another loss For the doubters. Let's go on, verse 3. In these lay a great multitude of impotent folk, of blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool 
and troubled the water. Whosoever then first, after the troubling of the water, stepped in, was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. Note the phrase, in these. It indicates that there were actually multiple pools, all of which had covered porches. And underneath these porches were a host of individuals, all suffering from some kind of physical disability. One of the many laying by one of these pools hoping for mercy and healing, which is what the word Bethesda means. Laying beside one of these pools was a man who had been crippled for 38 years. Look at it in verse 5. And a certain man was there, which had an infirmity 38 years. When Jesus saw him lie and knew that he had been now a long time in that case, He saith unto him, Wilt thou be made whole? The impotent man answered him, Sir, I have no man, when the water is troubled, to put me into the pool. But while I am coming, another steppeth down before me. Jesus saith unto him, Rise, take up thy bed, and walk. And immediately, verse 9, and immediately the man was made whole and took up his bed and walked. And on the same day was the Sabbath. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. With the Lord's help, I want to preach to you this morning on this thought, what to do when you're struggling. Now, I'm not going to lie, these last two weeks, confined to the inside of our home, have been a struggle. Now, don't get me wrong, home is a a great place to be when you don't feel well, and you're sleeping anywhere from 18 to 20 hours a day, but once you turn the corner and you start feeling better, Staying at home is a struggle. I mean, you can only watch so much Fox News and Netflix. And by the way, I'm proud to announce that through it all, I refrain from watching even a millisecond of Tiger King. While in quarantine, listen, There's only a certain number of laps that you can take around your backyard for exercise. There are only so many trips you can make to the mailbox to check the mail, even though you got the mail earlier in the day. But there's one thing that I found that you could do, and you could do a lot, and that is raid the fridge. And once I started feeling better, I did that a lot. Now, I'm sure that Pastor Tyler and our other staff guys have their own stories of their own struggles. But even as hard as their experience may have been, 
It didn't last 38 years. I mean, you think about that. That's 456 months. Or 13,870 days. That's a long time to struggle with being immobile. That's a long time to endure pain. That's a long time to hold out hope. That's a lot of frustration and a lot of weeping and a lot of weariness and discouragement and helplessness. Perhaps you're listening today and it's not been 38 years for you, but it's been a long time. Or at least it seems as though it's been a long time that you've had to endure your own struggle, your own pain, your own frustration, your own sense of helplessness. It could be marriage-related or health-related or career-related or family-related or money-related. Perhaps you're struggling being away from family or being single. Perhaps your struggle right now is with fear and anxiety because of the ongoing epidemic. Honestly, it could be anything. But if that's where you're at today, with the Lord's help, I want to encourage you to do two things that I trust will help you in your struggle. And here's the first one. Take your eyes off the clock and get them on Jesus. It's pretty obvious from our text that God wanted us to take note of the length of time that this man had been in this condition. Verse 5 states specifically that it had been 38 years. Verse 6 uses the phrase, a long time. So what can we learn from that? Well, I think one thing that we can learn is that the hardest part of any struggle is not its depth. Now, I understand that that some trials can, can take you down to points in your life that you've never been before. Believe me, I get that. And none of us like to go there. None of us enjoys going through what seems to be an unbearable trial. The operative word there being seems. And I say that because you're stronger than you think you are in the Lord. But as far down as some have been, it's not the depth of the struggle That is the hardest. Neither is it the darkness of the struggle. Most of us have been in situations where there just seems to be no light at the end of the tunnel. It's like we're totally blind. We don't know what to do. We don't know where to turn. We don't see any help in sight. And that's hard. But it's not the hardest part 
of a trial. The hardest part is not the depth of it, how bad it is on a day. It's not the darkness of it, how uncertain it is in a moment. I submit to you that the hardest part of any struggle is the duration of it. That's the amount of time that it goes on. I mean, most of us could go through just about anything if we knew how long it was going to last. I knew from the start that April 17th was the day. April 17th would be the end of our quarantine. So it helped to know when the end was. But it's the uncertainty of not knowing the length of suffering that makes it the hardest. The man in our text had already suffered through 38 years of infirmity. How much hope do you think he had of ever walking? What about at year seven? How hopeful do you think he was? How about year 15? What was he thinking in year 22? What if someone had come up to him on his 22nd birthday and said, listen, buddy, only 16 more years to go. When do you suppose this guy settled into never? When do you suppose he accepted that he was never going to walk? That he was going to die on that cot by that pool? When did he stop seeing people walk past him and thinking to himself, one day that's going to be me? At some point, you come to a place where you settle into a mindset of, this is it. This is never going to get any better. At least, that's what you do when you keep your eyes on the clock. When that's the case, with each turn of the the hands, you're saying to yourself, less likely, less likely, not going to happen, not for me, never. Here's what we all need to be reminded of this morning. God doesn't work on our timetable. He doesn't work by our clock. And at any moment, listen to me, at any moment, He could come into your struggle and say to you, get up. This man's miracle happened just like that. And immediately it says he was made whole. Get your eyes off the clock and get them on Jesus. Watching the clock builds despair. Watching Jesus builds hope. Watching the clock makes life a grind. Watching Jesus makes life a joy. Watching the clock leads to long nights. Watching Jesus leads to restful nights.
Watching the clock can make you bitter. Watching Jesus can make you better. I asked you earlier to grab a pen and a piece of paper, and I I want you to write down three things real quick that I think will help you get your eyes on Jesus. And honestly, for some of you, this is the part of the message that you need the most because your eyes have been on the clock and not on Jesus. Here they are. Number one, dismiss the lie. And here's the lie. The longer the time, the less likely Jesus will be to do anything. The truth is, The Lord's dealings with you have nothing to do with time as you know it. Jesus, listen, Jesus is all about making us like Him. And if that takes a day, great. If it takes a year, great. If it takes 10 years or 20 years or 38 years, great. And if he never finishes in this lifetime, great, because it will most certainly happen in the next. So number one, dismiss the lie. Number two, determine to wait. Waiting is the best thing we can do, and at the same time, it's the hardest thing to do. Waiting is putting your trust completely, completely in God. So we're going to dismiss the lie. And we're going to determine to wait. And then here's the third thing I'd encourage you to do to keep your eyes on Jesus. Devote yourself to prayer. Pastor, is that because prayer changes things? No, not necessarily. It's because prayer changes us. In particular, prayer helps us get our eyes off the clock and on to Jesus, which is the first thing that you should do when you're struggling. And here's the second thing you should do. Get your eyes off the obstacle and get them on Jesus. Do you want to be better? That's the question that Jesus asked this man. And you could tell by his answer that he had pretty much given up all hope of that ever happening. I mean, if you read back through the text, you'll find that this man had thought so much about the obstacles that he had all but given up the chance of there ever being an opportunity for things to change. I have no doubt, but that early on there was hope, just as there may have been for you. Hope that your marriage would get better. Hope that your wayward child would return to the Lord. Hope that your health would improve. Hope that your finances would turn around. But as time passed, So did your hope. Still got your pen and paper handy. I want to give you three reasons why we stop hoping. 
First of all, it's because hope is a hassle. If you are a positive, upbeat, faith-filled person, then there are probably some people around you that get really annoyed at your promising outlook for the future. And I'm guessing that they are constantly on you for being such, a, such an optimist and, and so naive and so out of touch with reality. I don't mean to be mean here, but what you need to do with those kinds of people is keep them at arm's length. No, seriously. Don't let them get too deep into your life or they will suck the hope right out of you. Hope can be a hassle. Here's the second reason we stop hoping. It's because it's hard. It's hard to hope. Answer me this. Which is easier, hoping or doubting? Without question, it's doubting. Because doubt is our default position. When we, or excuse me, we defeat, we default to criticism when we lose hope in people. We default to complaining when we lose hope in circumstances. And we default to doubting when we lose hope in God. Now all of, of these things, criticism and complaining and doubt, they are all the natural result of our fallen nature. But listen, in Christ, in Christ, we're having our minds renewed. In Christ, we have the promises of God, we have the Word of God, we have the Spirit of God, we have the people of God. Listen, I get it, it's hard to hope sometimes. It takes work, it takes focus, but please listen to me this morning, it's right and it's best. It's a hassle to hope. And it's hard to hope. And then finally, this is, this is a truth that hits hard. It hurts to hope. It hurts to have your hopes dashed. It hurts for deliverance or healing or reconciliation to seem so close, but yet be so far away. As I was preparing this week, my mind, as it often does, went to some people who I know and love, who know all too well that it hurts. To hope. Some of you have 
gotten your hopes up because someone you love said that they were going to change. And they did for a while. And then you had to relive the hurt all over again. Some of you have gotten your hopes up that that new medicine or that new treatment or that surgery was going to be your ticket to a new life with no pain. But alas, that wasn't the case. It can hurt to hope. Let me ask you, have you taken your eyes off Jesus? I love what the songwriter wrote a number of years ago. And I want to close the message today with these words. He wrote, O oh soul, are you weary and troubled? No light in the darkness you see. There's light for a look at the Savior and life more abundant and free. And then he went on to say this, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full into his wonderful face. And the things of earth, the hurt, the pain, the disappointment, the frustration, the stress, the anxiety, the fear, those things, the things of earth, when you turn your eyes upon Jesus, when you look full into his wonderful face, those things will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Let's pray. Father, I come before you this morning. And God, I'm so thankful for the stories of hope that are contained all throughout your word. And Lord, I'm thankful today that you've not left us in this life alone that you have imparted to us your wonderful, blessed Holy Spirit who guides us and strengthens us and gives us grace and comforts us so that we in turn might be able to help others with the same comfort wherewith we have been comforted. God, I know the stories of some who have listened this morning and 
Perhaps we'll listen later in the day or later in the week. God, I know the stories of some of our beloved fellowship family who are struggling right now with various things. God, for some, there's so much uncertainty in their life right now. For others, there's just, there's just a lot of anxiety. God, for many of us, to be honest, there's a boatload of frustration. And we're struggling with that today. And so, Lord, help us to get our eyes off the clock. Whether this is over on May the 3rd, <coughs> or whether it extends, God, help us to get our minds off the clock and to get them on Jesus. And then, Lord, help us to get our eyes off of the obstacles, whatever they may be, and to turn to you in prayer, asking you, begging you, believing you, to do what we can't do, to give us what we don't have. Father, thank you for being good to us. God, thank you for letting me stand here today and for letting Pastor Tyler stand here tonight. God, we give you all of the honor and the glory for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, let me encourage you as we have encouraged you throughout this whole ordeal to continue to be faithful, to give. Just this last week, we opened up a host of envelopes that contained your tithes and offerings. And we're so thankful for that and so grateful for that. We have seen a huge spike in online giving. And church, I'm just telling you, from my heart as your pastor, that is so encouraging. But I have to be honest, I'm, I'm really not all that surprised because that's who you are. And I believe that's who you'll continue to be. We're going to be sending out some more uh, stamped envelopes for you to participate in the offering for the next couple of weeks or however long this thing lasts. And again, I just want to thank you for that. And if you're viewing uh, today, and especially if you're uh, from the, the liberal community or somewhere in the outlying, uh, one of the outlying communities, We'd love for you to click the link at the bottom of the page and connect with us today. Um, what that's going to do is it's going to let us know, number one, that you joined us and, and uh, give us an opportunity to rejoice in that. If you have a prayer request, if there's something that we can do 
to help you, if there's something we can pray with you about, please don't hesitate to put that on there as well. Listen, just feel free to put as much information or as little information as you care to put. But here's another big reason why we're asking you to do that. Here at Fellowship Baptist Church, every month we partner with a different nonprofit organization. And for every, every connection card that we receive throughout that particular month, then we donate $10 to that nonprofit. So if you'll click that link on the bottom of the page, let us know that you joined us today in worship. Uh, you, by doing that, you're going to be donating through Fellowship Baptist Church $10 to the Grace Place Pregnancy Care Center right here in our own community. I believe they, they just started up last year. And what a great ministry that is. What a great opportunity to be involved in helping an organization that is faith-based, that is Christ-centered, reaching out to ladies in need. So help us with that, if you would, please. And then, church, i got one more thing that uh, I want to talk to you about, and then I'll let you go. This is a picture of my beautiful wife. Katie and I have been married for almost 39 years. It'll be 39 years in June. I love my wife. I love having her close to me. I love hugging her. Hey, I love kissing her. But tell me this, did I just, did I really just kiss my wife? No. I kissed a representation of my wife. This is not my wife. This is not real. This is my wife. Come here, baby. This. Right here's the real thing. This is what I like to hold close. This is what I like to hug. This, mm, that is what I like to kiss. That is the real deal. And if I ever come to the place in our relationship where hugging this and kissing this feels the same as hugging and kissing her, then I'm in trouble. Hugging and kissing this picture should never feel real. It should never, it should never be a suitable sacrifice for the real thing. Now church, here's my point this morning. Online worship is like kissing a picture of your wife. It's not the same. It's not intended to be the same. It can never be the same. Because we're not assembling as a body like God says that we should assemble. Now I'm thankful 
that we have the opportunity to come into your home. But come on, it's not the same. Sitting around, worshiping in your pajamas, tuning in when it's convenient for you and when it's easiest for you, that's not real life. And I just want you to know that when this, when this lockdown is, is over, so is our live stream. I'm just telling you, as soon as we can, as soon as we can, we are going to assemble together again and have children's ministry and adult Bible study at 945. And then we're going to come in here, I mean, in the flesh, real bodies, real people, real voices, and we're going to worship and we're going to praise and we're going to celebrate the Lord at 1045. And then we're going to come back in the afternoon and, and the adults are going to practice music and the children are going to practice music and we're going to assemble together again on Sunday night for more singing and more praise and more worship and more preaching. And if you agree with me this morning that that is the real thing and that this is not and that that is what you want and this is not what you want on a permanent basis, would you do something right now? Would you light up our page with either a thumbs up or a heart? And then I want you to do this. I want there to be a hundred amens with an exclamation point. And let us know, preacher, we're with you. Preacher, we agree. This is not real. We want the real. We want what God intended. And we cannot wait to get together with the fellowship family. Church, we love you. Thank you for being so incredibly good to us. Have a blessed week.